Thank you for that. That is so true. It, I'm so thankful that God is confident with our reality, meaning he's not going to be shaken up when you know, we have to say, hey, God, it's not that I'm falling short, but I'm falling apart. That doesn't freak him out. He doesn't, and it shouldn't freak us out to be real with God in that way. I mean, he knows the hairs that are on our head. He knows everything about us. He knows that when we project that everything is great and glorious and everything on social media to the rest of the world, he knows that in reality, things are actually falling apart. And it's sometimes for those of us who have been brought this way or even in our own selves think that, well, people know that I'm a Christian. People know that I go to church. I can't let them know that I'm falling apart because then that will rock my faith. It might rock their faith because they might believe that because I'm a Christian, my life is supposed to be perfect and hunky-dory and I'm supposed to be smiling and skipping all the time. And that's just not reality. That's not reality. There are times when I do feel like that, when I am on a spiritual high, when, when I know that my Redeemer lives, when I know that He is my healer, when I know that He is my Son's healer, when I know that things happen in my life that aren't just luck and isn't just coincidence, but it's His divine hand on situations. And there are those times when I am on the mountaintop, but there are times when I am in the valley of the shadow of death. When it feels like nothing is going right. When it feels like I can't do anything right. When I do the things that I don't want to do. And I don't do the things that I want to do. And it's in that wonderful moment that even when I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, I'm reminded that what the psalmist says right after that. But you are with me. That's God's promise. Because see, if my relationship with God hinged and swung on my promises to God, we wouldn't have a relationship. It wouldn't be good news. It would be bad news. But that's why the good news is so much better than I think it is and so much better than you think it is. Because our relationship with God hinges upon what he has promised to us. He'll never leave you. He will never forsake you. Where he is, you will be also. Take those promises to the bank. Bet the farm on the word and the promise of Jesus Christ that while you were a sinner, he died for you. While you were a train wreck, he wanted you. While you didn't want him, he still wanted you because you are his beloved. Independent of what you can give to God, he pours out everything on you because of who he is. The father that is waiting for his child who is dead that is now alive to come back home. All these super sorries, all this, oh, please forgive me, just let you be your slave. He goes, that, 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 you're my child. It's party time. You were dead and now you are alive. See, that's a different, that's a game changer. We have, and, and, and that's why I'm so thankful for the life and the ministry of Paul. And in these letters that he has written, that God inspired him to write, and that we can go back to in the book of Galatians. And as we end on Galatians this morning, in this series, take heart that what this is 
going back to. And I, I, I find comfort that even as early as when Paul is writing to the church in Galatians, he's already having to correct the problem. Our, our natural instinct to make the gospel something that we must do, something that we must activate, something that we must, that the gospel is just waiting on us to do something. To make it stick, to make it work. And Paul is here saying, no, no, no. The death of Jesus Christ saves. The death of Jesus Christ saves. The death of Jesus Christ saves. The gospel is Jesus Christ doing something to you and for you. He saves you all by himself. And that's good news for someone like me. That's good news for someone like me. Can you imagine the horror? If God is just waiting to love me, as soon as I do something for him, or the horror when I mess up, that God has me in time out until I've got it figured out, he will never leave me. He will never forsake me, even in my worst moments, even when I blow it big time. How can you say that, Zach? Because he already turned his back on his son on the cross. Christ was forsaken so that I would not be. Do you get that? Do you understand that? All of the wrath, all of the punishment, all the disappointment was poured out on Christ on the cross for me. His righteousness and what he purchased on the cross is mine because it is a gift given to me by God. Not when I deserved it, but when I didn't deserve it, specifically didn't deserve it. It's all given to me by his grace because he loves me and he would die to have me. It's the same for you, each and every one of you in this room. Well, you don't know about my, me, Zach. Uh, you're right. I don't know you, but God does. He knows everything about you. He knows what you did yesterday. He knows what you did today, and he knows what you'll do tomorrow. And he still wants you. That's what blows my mind. All my life, my, my, my heart, my thoughts, you know, the things that I did do outwardly and the things that I thought about doing, the thoughts, the evil thoughts inside, if they were all on display for everyone to see, if they became public, like we'll see these public scandals of this person, what they were doing, we're all like, oh, I can't believe it. Really? We're shocked? Really? We should be shocked when somebody does something good. I mean, man's natural state is going to, it, it's, the Bible even says we invent sin. Even threw that in there. There's things that, that are sinful that may not be specifically laid out in here, but they just threw it in the Bible that we, we, we come up with sin. We create sin. And everyone, if everyone saw what was in my heart or saw what my thoughts were or what I've done in my life, everyone would leave me. And understandably so. I would be cast off. I would be banished. I would be, don't go near Zach Cole. He has thought and done some shady stuff. He might do it to me. He might betray me. There's only one person who won't. There's only one person who knows everything about me and still calls me his friend. That's Jesus Christ. 
I mean, think about Jesus. His best friends betrayed him. All left him after just a few days before. Oh, we'll never leave you. We'll die for you, Jesus. We will do all these wonderful things for you, Jesus. And when the rubber hits the road, it was him on a cross between two thieves. And he comes back from the dead, and they're all hiding. <laughs> and he's not waiting to let them let him in. He just shows up right in the room. So now think about if that's you and the disciples. You've betrayed this guy, and it actually turns out to be that he's God, like he said he was. You know, there was, may have been a little bit of doubt before. Maybe, maybe he's not. Well, he's kind of died now, so I don't really know. And now he is in front of you. And see, me, if people betray me, think about it. We've all, I'd like to think, I don't like to think. I'm, I'm confident that most of us in this room have been betrayed by someone at some point. Can you imagine if, like, fresh after the betrayal, you were in front of them and you had all the power and all the authority and everything and what you would want to do to your betrayers? And what does Jesus do? Peace be with you. Peace be with you. He came, he came for them. While they rejected him, while they betrayed him, he hunted them down to give them his very self. He's a different kind of man. He's a different kind of God than what all these other gods that you'll hear about in this world. This one's different because he created you and he would die to have you. And he did die to have you. And there's nothing you can do to earn that. There's nothing you can do to live up to that. There's no amount of service. There's no amount of ministry. There's no amount of nothing that can make that stick. It is all riding on him. Forever and ever and ever. It is God's grace being poured out on him. His children. And so we look at a different picture of a God saying, you will love me. We have a God who says, I love you. I love you. I love you. In Galatians chapter 6, we read, and this is going to help understand how to read Scripture this, this passage and you know, how to understand the, the gospel, how to understand God's two words of law and gospel. Chapter 6, verse 1, we read, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Restore him. <laughs> restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Yeah, restore him. But are we gentle? Not a natural, it's, it's, oh, you need to stop, you need to stop. Gentleness. <laughs> Am I gentle with my sons? Oh, I need more patience than, I am not gentle. I am rough. I am, <sighs> restore, I need this for me. This is law accusing me right now. I need to restore my sons in a spirit, spiritual, in, in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, 
and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who has taught the word shall share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap, if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even though who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. Even in this chapter, it seems like Paul's going back and forth. It seems like he's contradicting himself here. The first thing that seems to stand out is that in verse 2, we read Paul saying, bear one another's burdens. But at the end of the paragraph, he says, for each will have to bear his own load. It's like, Paul, what? What are you talking about? How can we bear the burden of one another if each must bear his own load? It says, let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone. But at the beginning of the last paragraph, we read, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. How can it be that each is supposed to find reason to boast in his own work then? These are not contradictions, but paradoxes, which emerge when Paul looks at the same situation from two different angles as he often does in his writings. He looks from the standpoint in one way of the law, and later he returns from a different perspective with the gospel. God's two words all throughout scripture are his, are his law and his gospel, all through scripture. If it sounds like a command or something to do, that's most of the time that's law. If it sounds like a promise, if it sounds like something that God is giving that is good, that's a promise, that's usually the gospel. The law is never going to be the gospel. The law can't be. It, that's not what it does. And the gospel is never going to be the law. They're not designed to function like the other. But so often we get that mixed up or we, we, sometimes we can present the gospel as if it's a law. If you do this, then God will love you. It's like, no, that, that, that's law. The gospel is God has done this because he loves you. The God has given you this because he loves you. 
and they must be distinguished from each other. The gospel always has the final word. The gospel always has the final word. The law rightly condemns someone like me. See, the law's not bad. The law's good. The law points to and says what righteousness is. I am not. I am not. I, in my flesh, I am not righteous. I have broken the law. I have come short of the law. The law in its true value, not this watered-down law of do it your best. Do your best is not going to cut it. It is just, it, it will not. In a three-time holy God courtroom, hey, God, I gave it my best shot. Right. The law's standard is perfection. Jesus himself said, be perfect like your Father in heaven is perfect. You see, there's two different ears that hear that. Remember, Jesus also said, whoever has you know, ears to hear, hear. There's, see, there's two different types of ears to hear Jesus saying, be perfect like your heavenly Father is perfect. There's one ear that hears that as, that's something I need to now go do because God's telling me to do it. And therefore, I, I can do this. Or I, less, I at least better give it my best shot so that God will love me. And there's another ear that hears that and goes, that's not me. I can't do that. Have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. God, have mercy. And what's that parable that Jesus gave? The, where the, with the, the Pharisee and the sinner. There was one Pharisee who said, thank God I'm not like that tax collector over there. And the tax collector is saying to God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, that that man went home justified. Because he knew his only hope was the forgiveness of God. Not in himself. He knew his only way out is if God will forgive him. A good example of God's law and God's gospel being kind of this dynamic of one is saying this and one is saying that <coughs> is where God says in Hebrews, where, where he points out that it is impossible to please God without faith. It is impossible to please God without faith. And we read in Ephesians that faith is given to you as a gift. So it literally God's like saying, only faith pleases me. Here, have some faith. What God demands, what God's law demands of us is given to us freely in his gospel. Faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word of God. Who's the word of God? Jesus. The law says do this and it is never done. The gospel says believe this. And everything is done already. Thank you. Well, shouldn't, I mean, does that mean we never talk about the law or give the law? Oh, no, the law needs to be given. The self-righteous need to hear the law. When I'm being self-righteous, I need the law. I need to be reminded that I am not pulling everything up by my own bootstraps. I need to be reminded that, you know, I'm God's gift to himself. 
that everything is going into play because I'm making it happen. I need to be reminded when I need to be corrected, when I'm breaking the law, when I'm against the law, and I think I'm being, doing pretty good at it, I need to be reminded, no, you're toast without Christ. In the gospel for the broken in spirit, for someone who's been broken by the law, for someone who's been broken by guilt, shame, all this, when, when they are far more comfortable telling their bartender their sins than they are their pastor, that's where the church is off message. This should be place number one that we run to when we've blown it. When we have blown it big time. This ought to be a sanctuary for sinners who can come and pray and say, hey, I need prayer. I need to be forgiven. Or, or to even know that this is a place where they can go and hear that they're forgiven. How often is it, oh, you know, I can't. Oh, if, if people at church found out about this, whoo. That's on us. See, we need the law. And hear that. We as a church need to say, have mercy on us, sinners. And then realize that our position is we are beggars who are telling fellow beggars where we found bread. We're not God's gift to them. Jesus is. My life isn't God's gift to someone else. Jesus is. I'm free to love my neighbor. My neighbor needs my good works. God doesn't. That's correct. But don't have faith in me. Don't have faith in any Christian, anybody you know. Have faith in Christ who has conquered and captured them. Christians will fail you. Sheep bite. They do, but we have a shepherd who's more than willing to be with us and to bring us in. Another example of law and gospel. The woman that was caught in adultery in John chapter 8. Remember the people caught? How did they catch her in adultery? I'm sorry. But, I mean, they, they caught her. And so we, didn't, we, don't, we don't hear about that, you know, what they were doing to catch her in adultery. And so they, so they drag her and throw her, throw her in front of Jesus. Because, you, know, you know, this is something they wouldn't do. It's obviously not something they've ever thought about doing. But they, they catch her and they throw her in front of Jesus. And they're trying to catch him. See, they're, they're trying to catch Jesus. They're not so much concerned with bringing her to repentance or bringing judgment or whatever. They're trying to trap Jesus. She's just a tool that they're trying to use to get Jesus. The law says she should be stoned. What say you? And Jesus starts riding in the, in the sand, which is funny. They never tell us what he's actually riding. But I'll go into that in a little bit because I, I like to play on little things like this. And don't take it for... I just, just consider. So he's writing in the sand, and Jesus says, Okay, if whoever here has no sin, cast the first stone. And one by one, they walked away. Ha! The one person who had every right to throw the stone at the woman was right there. And he asks her, where are your accusers? I have none, Lord. Then neither do I. Go and sin no more. And he lets her off, scot-free. Because he's Jesus, that's what he does. 
Law and gospel right there. Was she guilty? According to this, she was. Did she get gospel? Yes, she got it from the only one who could give it. And you look back through the Old Testament at times when God's writing something with his finger. One other time is the Ten Commandments. So he could have been writing them. Or another place in Daniel. And think about who these people were. When the hand came writing on the wall, right? Starts writing all these things to the uh, Babylonian Empire and the, the kings that were there. And this is what, when Daniel came in to interpret it, this is what it says. Daniel told the king, so this is what it, the meaning is, is inscribed. The words were mine, mine, tekel, and parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Meaning, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought to an end. Tekel. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. I'm not, I, again, scripture doesn't say that's what Jesus was writing in the sand. But what if he was? Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, the days of your kingdom are coming to an end. You've been found and weighed in the balances and have been found wanting. That would make anybody drop the stones and walk away. The law says that everyone will be judged by their deeds on his own work. Before the judgment of God, we only have our own works to boast in and not our neighbors. But the gospel shows us a scandalous exception. The one man whose works are worth anything, the one man whose works are worth anything, allows us to be judged based on his works, to boast in them. And so Paul happily concludes, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, far be it, the cross, bet the farm on it. Under the law, we do bear our own load, an impossible load, who can shoulder the burden of their own guilt and carry it on earth, much less to heaven. Under the gospel, our Lord Jesus Christ bears our load and frees us to help others with their burdens. We have nothing to boast in but Christ's cross. If you see a fellow sinner struggling with their burden, remind them that it's already been placed on Jesus Christ. It is a gift to have a fellow sinner bring the good news to a sinner. When you stumble in sin, who would you rather hear from? A self-righteous person who calls you to do more and try harder like they are doing? <coughs> or a fellow sinner who tells you about a man who carries the burden of sinners, dies for sinners, and is a friend of sinners? As the team comes forward, allow me, a fellow sinner, to give you some good news. If you're here this morning and you've ever been, or you are, racked with guilt over things that you know that you rightly ought to have guilt for, if you're here this morning and you have shame in your life, or have experienced shame, like, who would want me? Kind of shame. If you're here this morning 
and you desperately need forgiveness or you think you don't deserve forgiveness or you don't think there's any forgiveness available to you, I've got some good news for you this morning. Jesus took all of your guilt on the cross of Christ. It was put into his body. His body, his blood flowed from his body for you and for me. All of the guilt that you deserve, God poured out on Jesus on the cross. All of it. Not 1% was left. It was all, all consumed by Christ. For those of you here this morning who have shame, Jesus was shamed on the cross for you. He despised the shame but took it anyway because he loved you and died for you. For those of you here this morning who need forgiveness, who don't think that you deserve forgiveness, who don't think that you can have forgiveness, what is out there that is more valuable than the blood of God? It is enough to cover and forgive the worst sin that anyone has ever committed. Clean, washed, righteous, done. For those of you who need mercy this morning, it's yours. It's yours. It's yours. Given to you from a God who loves you more than you can possibly understand. And the good news is, even if you never will understand it, you won't. It's still yours. It's still yours. The bad news is, I'm far worse than I think I am. The good news is, Jesus loves me so much more than I think he does. And that's what helps me, is to know what he's promised. And if you're here this morning, this is the first time you're hearing this, we invite you to join this fellowship. We invite you to enjoy this forever family that's in Christ. If you're here this morning, it's the first time you realize that you believe. And this next time as we come forward, we invite you to come forward and let us know. We just want to pray with you. I, I need to hear that I'm forgiven every day. If that's you, let us know. We'll reach out and we'll tell you, hey, you're forgiven every day. This is also a time for prayer. If you have any prayer requests that you would like to bring forward, please feel free to do that. And for those of you who need to get on with your day, you're free to leave as well. Thank you so much for coming this morning.